Somebody else's story is 20 no's and a yes. 200 no's and a yes. Doesn't fucking matter. No is no. And if that's not respected, it's rape. Hi, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Hecate, and this is Finding Okay, a healing podcast for survivors of sexual assault and any and all abuse. And now it's time for... Trigger and content warnings for this episode include the following. Sexual assault, rape, abuse, trauma, and PTSD. Please check in with yourself and make sure you're all right to continue. Today it's just me, and I'm sorry this episode is late. This has been a doozy for me, and it still is. So bear with me. Today I'm going to be sharing a very personal story, and I'm doing it with no script, and I'm just kind of rolling with this, and and it's a little difficult. So... Thank you for being here, but I I really feel like I need to share this story of one of my multiple sexual assaults um, because I think that it's the kind of story of sexual assault that doesn't get talked about as much. It's one of those stories that isn't a stranger in an alley, um, which is, you know, and I I only cite that because that's the easiest kind of story of assault for most people to wrap their heads around. And it's the one that is held up as a narrative more often. And the ones that are harder to talk about for everyone are the ones that get into the nitty gritty of what consent is what it should be, and everything gets messier when it's somebody that you love and when it's somebody that you trust. And the story that I'm going to tell you uh, is something that happened. I had a boyfriend. We had been going out for about a year uh, when this occurred, and what went down ended the relationship as, as it should have. And when I got into this relationship, I I already had PTSD. I had already experienced three years of abuse with my first boyfriend. Um, I had had a healthy relationship since then, but obviously, you know, still had PTSD. I still had trauma, and I was still really coming to grips with that, and was still uh, navigating a lot of things within relationships and really coming to grips with the full damage that the emotional abuse and the sexual abuse uh, in the past had, you know, the, the effects that that had had on me and how that was continuing to affect me and, uh, and how it was continuing to motivate me in unhealthy ways and affect my relationships moving forward. And that was something that was 
communicated and talked about uh, in a very open way within this relationship that I'm talking about um, with this boyfriend. We'll call him LM. Um, and so it was a space of trust. I trusted him and I loved him very much. And about a year into our relationship, um, I had graduated high school and he was a year ahead of me, um, though we were the same age and he had, he had moved on to college, um, and moved into a dorm. And at one point I went to visit him at the dorms in his college. And so I was in a situation where I had driven up to see him and I was staying with him and I was in an unusual place, a place where I didn't really have anywhere to go. And, you know, in, in order for me to exit the situation, it would have involved me either sleeping in my car in a strange place or driving an hour and a half, like having the initiative to get in my car and drive an hour and a half home, which is a lot to really come to grips with. You know, if, if you're in a situation where you believe that you are safe, that's a lot to ask somebody to realize that that is the step that they need to take or that they should take. It's hard exiting a situation and that is an undercurrent to this story where um, we're, of course, one of those, you know, the the shitty undercurrent questions of, oh, why didn't you leave? It's, it's like, well, that's that's a part of why I didn't leave. I thought I was safe. And also I was in a strange place and it just wasn't just wasn't easy. Just wasn't. While I was there at a certain point, he wanted sex and I just wasn't feeling it. And I can't even remember why. I just wasn't. And that's enough. And you should know that. That's enough. I just don't want to is enough. And so he started watching some porn and, you know, kind of taking care of things himself, um, which I encouraged him to do. I said, you know, you go ahead, you know, and, you know, maybe sometime later. But I think a part of it may have been a feeling of entitlement to me because I had come so far to see him. And, uh, and I think I had already been there like a day or so, or I, I can't remember, uh, at what point of the trip we were at, um, you know, whether or not we had already had sex that trip or like, I honestly, I cannot remember. It was, I think in 2006 that this occurred, um, 2005 or 2006. I'm not sure. But honestly, he started, he was pestering me for sex, basically. Uh, he kept kind of poking at me, needling at me and, you know, you know, oh, I really want to, oh, I really want to. Um, can't we just, can't we just. Um, and so it put me in the position where I think for an hour and a half, I was saying no and asserting that boundary and saying no over and over and over. I really don't want to. I don't feel like it. You know, can you please just do what you're doing? And, you know, maybe I'll, I'm sure I'll feel more like it another time, but I don't feel like it right now. You know, no. And at a certain point, 
you know, and started off very, uh, you know, saying that very lovingly, you know, but with the the expectation that it would be heard and respected. And then was getting progressively more uncomfortable, more angry, and more triggered the more that he pestered me because he wasn't respecting that boundary. And that was immediately triggering towards my own personal traumas uh, with the past, where in my former relationship, if I were to refuse, you know, some kind of, you know, sexual situation with, you know, the abusive partner in the past, I would be emotionally punished for it later. Um, There's a lot of emotional abuse in that past relationship. And so uh, this put me in a, in a very bad situation psychologically. And I had the wherewithal to realize that, to kind of step outside of myself, to recognize that what he was doing was really fucked up and to understand how it was affecting me or how it was going to affect me. And I, yeah, kind of had this like, you know, step outside myself moment. And I actually, I sat him down, you know, I called him away from the computer and I had him, you know, sit down on like his, his roommate's bed, like his roommate was gone for the weekend or something. I had him sit down across from me and I held his hand and I talked to him and I said, Hey, we need to have a conversation. And I need you to hear me and I love you very much, but I need you to understand that what you're doing is really messed up and let me tell you why. And I said, you know about my past and that I have PTSD and that I have this history with emotional abuse and sexual abuse. And I said, what you're doing right now, I have repeatedly said, no to you. And I've been saying it for about an hour and a half. And you're not listening. You're not hearing me. And it's putting me and what what you're doing right now is a form of emotional abuse. You're not respecting this boundary. And let me tell you what could happen here. I said, not not only is this in itself bad uh, and a violation of trust. I said, because of my history with emotional abuse, what could happen here is that I could become so triggered and messed up and confused and I could dissociate. I could convince myself that what I need to do in this situation is concede. I might become so wrapped up in this situation that I say yes to you, that I give in uh, in order to make it stop, that I give you what you want in order to make this stop. And I said, I wouldn't even realize necessarily that that's what I'm doing when I, when I do it. And I said, there is the potential that you, if you continue doing this, if you continue pestering me or asking me and not listening to me, that I will say yes to you. 
And I literally said, that yes still is a no. It's not real. And what happens isn't consensual. And if you continue doing what you're doing, it is abusive and it is not okay. What is happening is not okay. And if you do continue doing this, and I say yes, and we have sex, it is not consensual, and it could ruin everything that we have. You could destroy everything that we have by not listening to me right now. I need you to listen to me right now. I love you. Please respect me right now, and please understand this and help me here. I need, like, I, I, I'm sure you didn't mean. And at this point he was going, oh my God, you're right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And I was saying, it's okay. Hey, you didn't understand. And now you do, you know, we've communicated. Now you understand. And, and he was like, of course, I'll back off. Like, I'm so sorry. That was messed up. Blah, 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 blah. And it took all the resources, all the personal, psychological, emotional resources that I had in order to communicate that to him in that moment, to step outside myself, to see the situation, to see the potentiality for absolute disaster and to communicate that to him clearly to literally sit him down and give him that speech of like, hey, you're about to sexually assault me. You're putting me in a situation that is very triggering and let me like spell it out for you at this point, psychologically for me, you've put me in a position where any yes that I give you means no. Like I said that very clearly. And he was not unintelligent. He was a very intelligent person. I know without a doubt that he completely understood what I was communicating to him. I said it in no uncertain terms. There's no chance that he just didn't fucking get it. I made it very clear to him. And it took so much for me to communicate when I was already in such a triggered state. And I'm so proud of myself for being able to see it clearly what what was happening to me and what could happen if I allowed it to continue. And because I was in a situation with somebody that I trusted and somebody that I loved, my train of thought was, wow, he's doing this really messed up thing to me. What I need to do in order to change the situation the way I need, you know, the, the action that I need to take is I need to communicate to him to prevent further harm from happening. Because obviously I trust and I love this person and he cares about me and he loves me. He cares for my well-being. He doesn't want to hurt me. And so if I am able to communicate to him the way that his actions are harming me or the way that his actions could harm me, that is all that is required because he will do the right thing and he will stop. He will see what he is doing. He will stop and he will respect me. And he will take care of me. So that's where I put my energy. 
I had limited spoons in that situation. I put them towards communication because I believed with all my heart that that would be enough. It was not. That got me a break, um, enough for me to let my guard down and feel safe, to release some of the built-up tension that had been building up in my body, the fear and um, just all the, the triggered, you know, energy. Um, it gave me enough time to let my guard down and to, to, you know, to say, oh, wow, like that took so much to communicate that. That took so much emotional energy. Oh, thank fucking God that's over. And I think maybe there was like another hour where everything was fine. I don't remember what I was doing. But after that break, the pestering started again where he had his dick out, um, you know, and was masturbating and was communicating to me that he really wanted to have sex and, and pestering me for sex and pressuring me for sex. And, um, and I held up my constant no, 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 um, for I think about like another hour and a half or like two hours or something like that. Something truly obscene, like to put somebody through that, somebody that you say you love and someone who has that kind of history and to put them in a situation where they have to find that energy to say to to expect anybody whether whether there's love or affection or anything to put somebody in a situation where they're a guest in your space i mean even without that just fucking across the board no is no and putting someone through hours and hours of having to say it over and over and over again while you have your dick out is fucking obscene and disgusting. And I still have a lot of feelings um, because I don't tell this story in, his, in its entirety, um, in its full uh, specificity um, a lot. I mention the bare bones of the situation and I don't often go into the situation. So I'm sorry if the, um, if the emotion in my voice is a little triggering for you, it's not my intention, but, but I do want to speak my truth because I think that that's helpful to other people who've been in similar situations. Um, and there are a lot of us. So as I predicted, I ended up, I, I had spent all the energy that I had, um, you know, communicating. And I think the violation of that trust as well to have communicated that and to have it ignored, to have it happen after I felt safe and I felt heard and I felt that relief. Um, the continuation of it was another betrayal that was even more unexpected. And I think that contributed to me finally doing what I knew I was at risk of doing, which was saying yes in order to get it over with, to just provide this person with sex in order to escape the situation that I was in because it wasn't stopping, because he wasn't stopping. I felt trapped uh, in a situation that 
had been going on for hours in which I didn't feel emotionally or physically safe. And the way out that I had been conditioned into through years of abuse was if I provide this cis man with an orgasm, this will stop. The abuse will stop, at least for a while. This is how I make this situation end. And so after saying no, I finally just dissociated and just, you know, just kind of left my body a little bit and just got so wrapped up into this is what I need to do. And it wasn't even a conscious thought where you're just so fucked up and in the moment um, because, I mean, like, I know that me sitting him down and giving him that speech, you would think, you would think that I would be able to hold on to that lucidity and be, hey, like, I just told you, blah, blah, blah. And to understand that having said, like, even if I say yes, it means no, that if I say yes, that I myself would still know that it meant no. And that's not the case. I literally called it. I was so far gone and so deeply affected by my past and so doubly betrayed by this person that I loved and trusted, not respecting my boundaries for such a sustained period of time and in so many ways that I did give in and I said, yes. He was like, oh my God, really? And I was like, fucking yes, fine. Put on a condom. And we started having sex. And a couple minutes into it, I started crying. I just started sobbing. I came back to myself and I realized what was happening. And and he he got off me and he said, oh my gosh, are you okay? Are you okay? And I was like, no. And uh, and I'm still crying. And, and he was like, but you, you said yes, you said yes. And I think I said something and I was just sobbing. And I said, how many times do I have to say no? And he was like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And uh, and I was an absolute fucking train wreck. I sobbed for hours. And I remember standing in the shower, sobbing in his shitty dorm room shower with him sitting on the toilet, like right outside the shower curtain with his head in his hands, I think crying as well because he felt like such shit. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I did that. Oh, I can't believe I did that. I and had to deal with the fact that like he had ignored very clear communication about what he was doing. And I was still in the situation where I was trapped with this person. And because I'm a person that, I don't know, because I'm a nice person, I guess. And and also I think programmed to provide emotional labor to people around me. I comforted him for hours um, after I had my cry. Um, I held him and comforted him and told him he wasn't a bad person and that everything was going to be okay. And, you know, and he was asking, like, well, are we going to be okay? Are we going to be okay? You know, and, and I think I was honest about it. And I said, like, I I don't know how I can continue with you 
after this. I honestly, it's it's a complete blur. I don't remember. But I I didn't pretend like we were going to be okay because it was a death. Um, it was a death of trust. It was a very clear betrayal. And it was just hours and hours of that betrayal um, and of him refusing to step back from it, even when very clearly warned uh, and provided in no uncertain terms the information that he needed in order to make the right decision to not rape somebody. If somebody tells you what's happening, what they're doing, how it's affecting you, if somebody says no to you over and over and over and over and you keep pressuring them till you hear that yes and then you take that yes at face value, it's rape. And that's why I wanted to share this story. To me personally, it it helped me to identify this as a sexual assault and as rape. It helped me that I had that moment of lucidity and that I had that conversation with him and that I was able to point to that conversation when communicating this story to other people and say, you know, and, you know, because people are like, yeah, but, you know, you said yes or, oh, but what if he, you know, maybe he didn't understand it, you know, and to be able to say no, I fucking sat him down and I gave him a speech. I told him what he was doing and what was about to happen. And I said, if you continue doing this, this is what this is. And they were like, Oh, oh, I was like, yeah, fucking oh. I told him what he was doing and he did it anyway. And here's the thing. Even without that conversation, you know, somebody else's story doesn't have that conversation happening. Somebody else's story is 20 no's and a yes, 200 no's and a yes. Doesn't fucking matter. No is no. And if that's not respected, it's rape. And that's why I'm making this episode. And I usually, I usually do it um, with a script because I'm much more um, eloquent and soothing. When I write it down, I'm able to be much more articulate and um, kind of on the ball. Um, and I... Honestly, like, I think I'm, there's still so much emotional charge to telling the specifics of this story that I think writing it and then reading it was just too much for me. And I just needed to, to just say this. So I'm just saying this, um, what happened was rape and that man is a rapist because of what he did. And here's the, the continuation of this. We did split up. It involved him. Um, he had been living with my family um, for his senior year of high school um, because his father was abusive and we wasn't going to allow him to go to college. So he had moved in with my family in order to allow him to go to college. Um, so after he raped me, he had to come home to my house, I think for the holiday, in order to move out. That was very difficult. That was not cool. After that, some years passed. 
actually not that many. I think I think maybe like a year or two passed. I did a lot of personal growth. And at some point, I think I thought that I, fr- I friended him on Facebook is what I did. Uh, and I reached out and I communicated with him a little bit. And I think I thought that if I friended him on Facebook and if I allowed him to be just a little bit more in my life than my previous abuser was, that it would be easier for me, that it would mean that I had healed or that it wasn't as traumatic. I thought, I think I thought that if that level of communication was still over, not even communication, like if he was still on the periphery of my life, if I hadn't completely cut him out, I thought that that meant that it was less traumatic or that I was less traumatized by what had happened, by what he had done to me. And it took me years, up until very recently, actually, it took me years to realize that 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 was not true uh, at all. And it wasn't like along the way I started saying like it wasn't rape. No, I maintained that this man had raped me. Um, And I understood in my head that technically that made him a rapist. And I think his presence on my timeline, which was very sparse, kind of kept just this open kind of conversation in the back of my head about, well, maybe, you know, like that doesn't mean he's a bad person. You know, going back to what I had been telling him when, you know, right after he had raped me saying, this doesn't mean you're a bad person. You know, you did a bad thing. That doesn't mean you're a bad person. And ultimately, you know, like, I don't want to get super abstract, but ultimately, um, you know, talking about like philosophy or, you know, morality or, you know, getting into like the spiritual aspects of like, what is a good or bad person? Um, I think it's possible for people to do bad things and still be good people. And I still believe that, but I do think they have to take responsibility for them. And I don't know that he ever did. I know that when I reached back out to him, um, after that year or two or whatever and reestablished communication, he said that he was still angry at me. And I took that in stride at the time, but it always bothered me. Because it was about something else, but it was just sort of like, are you fucking serious? You fucking raped me. Anyway. I've never really been clear about his internal process after he assaulted the person that he claimed he loved. Um, Something that he said to my mother at some point when she was like, oh, maybe you guys will work it out. Like she didn't really, I think, fully grasp what had happened. And he said, you know, like, or she was like, oh, like, you're taking this really hard or, you know, you know, you don't, you don't seem okay. Like, and he, and he said, like, how would you feel if you, like, destroyed the best thing that had ever happened to you? Um, was something he said, I guess, when he was, like, moving out. And she was like, oh. Um, and uh, I don't know what kind of gymnastics he did psychologically in his head like after he did what he did 
none of us are privy to that. And all of us always kind of wonder that. Like, how did you, how do you, like, exist after you do that to a fucking person? Like, you raped somebody. What is going on in your head that allows you to continue breathing and existing and thinking whatever it is you're thinking after you do that? I mean, (laughs) there's a lot of shit I'm not saying right now. Um, Because I don't necessarily agree with it. Uh, It's coming from a place of, um, it's coming from a real raw place. Um, And I don't want to hurt anyone, no matter what they've done. Um, um, Unnecessarily, because if me telling my truth about the way that somebody has hurt me and that hurts them, that's just consequences. That's not me enacting violence upon them. That's just truth. I'm sorry. It sucks sometimes. Um, but something that I think we all wonder is, does this person understand what they did? Do they believe that what they did was rape? And if they seemed to at some point, are they going to talk themselves out of it? Are they going to convince themselves that it wasn't rape in order to continue existing as a person in order to continue believing that they're a good person you know cognitive dissonance it's a it's a real bitch um and the the false stories that people tell about us are a compounding part of trauma and that's real that's real that's like that's like a whole another episode right there the um the other versions of ourselves that exist in other people's minds, um, the people that they convince themselves that we are in order to justify what happened in order for them to continue living their lives, not believing that they're absolute shit. (laughs) Um, I don't know what stories he tells himself. I don't know if he altered history because we all alter history and that's scary that's scary that's the scary part of existing (sighs) wow sorry So I didn't talk to him for many years, uh, but he just continued to exist on my, on my Facebook feed. And, um, and at a certain point I started this podcast and I created a separate profile for my alias Hecate. I did not friend him via that profile and, um, and some difficult things happened 
he got married. That was one thing. And I was okay. Um, I had seen him dating and was like, okay. You know, and that caused some discomfort. I moved through that discomfort and he got married. And that caused some discomfort. And I moved through that discomfort. And, um, and I think it's a certain point, like hit like unfollow where I wasn't, I wasn't getting updates about his life or anything. And I think after a certain amount of time doing the podcast, I think I maybe checked in on his page at a certain point when he was just really present in my mind. And, um, and things changed for me when I saw that he had had a daughter. And that caused some discomfort, and I couldn't move through it, um, not without making a change. So I sat with that discomfort, um, and I realized that it was pain. And I sat with it some more, and I realized that that pain was a bunch of shit that I had not dealt with from the past, but there was still a lot of anger left from his actions. And that I had kind of kind of glossed over it, kind of encapsulated it and um, and breezed past it because it was less traumatizing than a lot of other shit that's happened to me. That rape was less upsetting uh, and less traumatizing than some of the other rapes that have happened to me. Um, and some of the other abuse that I have gone through. Um, it wasn't high on my priority list as far as dismantling my bullshit. Um, but him having a daughter, um, that fucked me up. Uh, and it is something that... I just wanted to talk about because it's weird. The um, if you're privy to your abusers having a life after abusing you, it can get weird, and that is um, that is why sometimes it's a it's a good. I I mean, it's it's just one part of why you should probably cut them out. I'm not saying that's always the right thing to do. You do what's right for you. Um, but ultimately, your healing is is on you and um and they can't you can't rely on them to give you anything to make that better or easier they can't fix what they did it's up to you to fix what they did that sucks that really sucks um and it's not fair but it is what it is and um and I think, um, I just want to be clear. I don't about my, I just want to be clear about my, my reasons for being so upset by seeing that he had a daughter. I think part of it could be my, my own personal, um, journey with deciding whether or not to become a parent, which is honestly, not a complete journey for me. I still don't know. And it's a, it's a difficult and personal and painful, um, journey that I'm going through. 
and seeing someone who raped me holding this very pure and beautiful little life and um and having that when i didn't um and then having it be a girl uh a being who is assigned female at birth and who will go through the world as i did facing the same oppression and be at risk uh for the same abuse and um and betrayal and knowing that he's the father that he is one of the parents who's going to have to prepare her for that world and i found myself wondering uh what are you going to what are you going to tell her are you going to tell her that you're a rapist or are you going to try to do your best to prepare her i found myself imagining him in situations as a parent um trying to prepare her to face this world and the suppression and um and these dangers and knowing that he is one of those dangers that he was one of those dangers um for another person that was hard and that is hard for me to wrap my head around um and it also just made me wonder like as i'm constantly wondering like you know i you look at the the statistics of of how many people are raped and and we don't have the numbers on who's raping these people how many how many of us are rapists um and studies are just starting to be done on that and they're hard they're hard studies to do but there's that one that's like one in 12 college aged men admitted to you know potentially you know taking advantage of xyz situations you know basically admitting like oh if 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 xyz happens yeah i would rape somebody um it's like okay so it's a fair and a fair number of uh of people out there and um and it made me wonder how many of us were raised by rapists and just have no idea because if they didn't hurt you you have no idea if they didn't hurt you know their co-parent or somebody else in your life you have no idea um it's entirely you know it, it's not just entirely possible that's the reality a bunch of us were ra- raised by rapists and have no idea that's hard that was that was kind of fucked up for me to think about um and uh and i just imagine this this little girl being raised by my rapist um and him trying to give her all the tools she needs to hold the boundaries that i tried to hold with him and i wonder how cognizant of that 
irony of that hypocrisy that he's going to be when that day comes, when his daughter is old enough. Is he just going to avoid those tough conversations? I don't know. I have no idea. I'd like to think he would have them. Um, How honest is he going to be when he's having them? You know, are you going to disclose to her that you raped somebody that trusted and loved you? That's pretty hard. I doubt it. I doubt you're going to provide her with that level of honesty. And I don't even know if you provide yourself with that level of honesty. I don't know. But these were the thoughts that um, that were a little too much for me. And, um, and the anger that came with them made me realize that um, my having him on my friends list was not healthy anymore, if it ever had been. And I unfriended him. I can't remember if I blocked him. I don't actually, I don't actually remember. Um, But I wanted to share that part of my own personal journey um, because it is ongoing. All of this is very recent, you know, with him having a daughter and me, you know, going through this next part of the process of, um, of realizing that this old wound isn't, um, isn't completely healed. Not like I was like, Oh, it's all better. It's all gone. I at least thought the wound was clean. I thought I cleaned it. It wasn't clean. I had to kind of, you know, it, it got opened up and I was like, Oh, that's infected. Let's clean that out. So I've been kind of, um, re-examining some old bullshit that included and I wanted to share that with you um because weird shit will pop up years later decades later sometimes and that's a part of the healing journey um and that's why I say healing isn't linear it's not it's not just a straight line um you know just heal and heal and heal and heal consistently and then you're done Bye it goes in waves. Um, you'll heal this, you'll heal that. You'll think this is healed. Something will pop up. And, um, sometimes it'll feel like a game of whack-a-mole. That's fun, but you do what you can, uh, when you can as well, when you have the resources to devote to it. Um, there are times when you have to kind of, Oh, we got to tuck that away for now, uh, until we can deal with it. And that's real. And that's valid. Um, and it doesn't mean that you're doing it wrong. It means that you're a person and you're doing your best to survive and to get through it. Um, and I think that's uh, another part of why COVID and quarantine has been very challenging um, for people with past trauma as well. Because it's... a uh, it's been a very triggering time and it's also maybe it's been a very quiet and uneventful yet traumatizing time where all of a sudden a whole bunch of shit that you had kind of tucked out of the way because you didn't have time or resources for it and all of a sudden boom it comes tumbling out of wherever you tucked it and uh demanding to be dealt with it's interesting it's uh it's 
It's very interesting being a human being. There's that. Um, and overall, I think, I think the, the biggest part of why I wanted to, to share this was because it's a story about, about consent and about rape that goes against the most common story that we're told. And I think it's an important story. Um, I think I think it's important for these kinds of stories to be shared as we move forward and redefine consent, as we understand what real consent is. 200 no's and one yes still mean no. 20 no's and a yes is still no. One no and a yes is still no. If someone says no, it just means no. And if you pressure them, try to convince them or coerce them, you're a predator. And if you've been in a situation like that and you have been bearing the responsibility for it and thinking about that, but I said yes. But I said yes, so it's not assault, so it's not rape. I have no right to be so fucking traumatized. Yes, you do. Your trauma is valid. You set a boundary and it wasn't respected. You're fucking allowed to be traumatized by that. And if that's if anyone tries to invalidate that, that's on them. And I just wanted to share one of these weird stories and to let you know that you're not alone uh, in that kind of um, experience, that I was there too, that if it happened to you, that I understand. And whatever you did... I hope that you don't hold yourself responsible, that you don't blame yourself for whatever you did to exit that situation or to survive that situation. You did the best you could with what you had available. And that's valid. It's so real. And I just want you to remember if you're experiencing guilt or you're putting responsibility on yourself for how you responded during a traumatic situation, I want you to remember that during a trauma, your logical, rational brain shuts down and survival mode kicks in. And there is a split-second reaction. It's not even a decision. It is a reaction. Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. And fawn meaning befriending or soothing the threat. And you didn't really get to choose 
that if you it's a re- it's a reaction it is a survival response and you did the best that you could your body and your survival brain reacted in the way that you that your history had pre-programmed it to you responded the best way that you could you did what you had to do to stay alive and if you're still alive then you did just fucking fine and i hope that you stop beating yourself up for it that you stop blaming yourself for the trauma and recognize who actually had agency real agency who made a decision in that situation that you were in who made a decision to harm another human being who lacked respect for another individual's agency you deserve healing you deserve freedom from guilt and shame and you're gonna be okay you're gonna be okay and I just want you to know that you're not alone you're not alone Thank you for listening to this uh, very weird and raw episode. And please check episode notes. I have no idea what's going to be there, but always check it out. Always check it out. (sighs) And I also want to give you an update on the... Letters for the Fire Project. If you're not sure what I'm talking about in Season 3, Episode 4, I invited listeners to write a letter to their abuser and send it to me. Instructions for that are in that episode. I am receiving your letters. Thank you so much for sending them. And so people have a sense of a timeline. What I've decided to do is devote an entire episode to the letters at the end of the season. So if you're processing or finding the strength to write it or send it, I want to let you know that you have time. I'd say November would be good. And I'll let you know once I have a solid end date for submissions. Follow me on social media as well for updates on that. It also means that if you send me a letter with instructions to read it in an episode, you will be informed of when that episode will be aired so that you're not tuning in each week unsure if your letter is included and not sure when that emotional shoe is going to drop. If you included a personal note to me with your letter, I will write back to you. And I just want to let you know that I love you. And as soon as I have the spoons, I will get back to you. I will be keeping you updated on the project along the way. Thank you so much for listening. Please visit the podcast website, www.finding-ok.com, 
It's where you can find all the links to my social media. It's where the new blog is. It's where you can learn more about me and all my guests. It's where you can read reviews, leave reviews, contact me. It's also where you can find links to donate. There's also a private Finding OK Facebook group for survivors, and you are welcome there. There is now a membership option available through Buy Me a Coffee. By becoming a bronze, silver, or gold member, you gain access to exclusive behind-the-scenes posts, pics, clips, and even the occasional video episode. Bronze membership is only $2 a month, that's $1 per episode, and it would be a game changer for me. Finding OK is crowdfunded. It is listener support that is keeping the podcast alive during the pandemic. If you can't afford to donate or become a member, one of the best ways you can support the show is by reviewing and sharing online or by word of mouth. Thank you again for listening. This has been Finding Okay. Black Lives Matter. Take care of yourself. Your heart is a muscle the size of your fist. Keep on loving. Keep on pointing. And hold on. And hold on. Hold on for your life.